Well, I've got us just about time to get going. I want to welcome you tonight. We're going to go on an interesting journey in the next weeks. I think you'll find it a fascinating thing to do. And hopefully it'll be something that will enhance our spiritual lives as well. Before we begin this study tonight, let's bow and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to commit tonight to you. We want to thank you for your people who've come out tonight. We pray you'd bless our study. We pray we'd glean from it over the next weeks exactly what you'd have us glean, Lord, that we would be pleasing to thee in our ability to understand and grasp the word of God. We just want to commit the study to thee, Lord, and pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we begin a new study tonight that's going to take us several weeks to complete. It was about 35 years ago when Mr. Miles asked me to put together a 10-week study on this particular subject and teach it in his church in Whalen, Michigan, which I did. I was actually first taught these things back in 1980, and so for the past 42 years or so, I've been using these things that I've learned and honing the skills, and frankly, it's changed my life and changed my understanding of the scriptures, how to approach the scriptures. And ever since then, I've been thinking that it might be a good study to do at some point in the church. It's not technically a Bible book study. It's not technically a doctrinal study. We'll certainly cover a lot of passages, including some tonight. But I do think we can establish it is a legitimate biblical study. What we would like to do tonight is to present to you a system that will enable one to carefully study the Word of God and carefully analyze it and understand it and interpret it in a way that would leave our interpretation accurate and true. We're going to cover a lot of different subjects and examine many passages in the next weeks. Now, this kind of study is not typically presented to a congregation in a local church. This study is typically a series of multiple courses that are offered at a theological institution. It's usually presented to those that are preparing for ministry. When I was back in school many years ago, I took a variety of Bible study courses that all had to do with interpreting the Bible. They were courses with different names, and they were at different levels of study. There was a course called Hermeneutics. We're going to examine that entirely. And there was another course called Bible Study Methods. And then when you got into the biblical languages, there was a course called Exegesis, several of those. And all of the studies were designed for one purpose, and the purpose of those studies was to arrive at a true meaning of a biblical text. And each of those studies was unique in itself, but the more I studied those things, the more I saw that they seemed to overlap. In fact, the more I studied these things, the more the differences between the studies became somewhat of a blur And it was almost like we were studying relatively the same things. Now, I know hermeneutics is supposed to be one discipline of study, and Bible study methods is supposed to be another discipline of study, and then exegesis, another discipline, but they all intertwine. So that brought me to wonder, well, what if a study could be produced and we cover all of it? Instead of trying so hard to distinguish between studies, what if we tried to come up with a study that would merge all of that together. And basically, that is the reason for this study. That's what we're going to do. Subjects like hermeneutics and Bible study methods and 
exegesis are typically part of a curriculum of a theological school. What we're going to do is we're going to combine all three of those in this study. In fact, we think we should invent a new word called hermegesis, uh, Bible study methodology. We're going to cover a lot of ground, and it's going to be a very thorough study of these things. I've always thought that things taught in theological schools should be taught in the church. And I'll give you a couple of illustrations on that. When we were taught systematic theology and doctrine, I remember sitting there in that class going, why isn't this taught in the church? I remember thinking that. And when we were taught the book studies of the Bible, and they would open up a book and go straight through a book of the Bible, I remember sitting there thinking, why isn't that done in the church? I think people should be taught that in the church. Why isn't it taught in the church? You know, William Tyndale, back in the 1500s, sat in many church services where the Bible was being butchered. And the problem was, people didn't have the Bible in their own language. And as he sat there, and he realized that he could speak, what, six, seven languages. And so he knew what they were reading from the text they were reading, no matter what language it was in. And he was listening to this stuff, and he kept saying, well, you know what? They're not accurate in what they're telling the people, and how do the poor people know whether or not it's accurate? And Tyndale said, I'm going to change that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to work on translating the Bible into the English language so that when people are listening to it, they can look at it and see whether or not they're telling them the truth. He was disgusted what he saw happening in theological institutions and the lack of study of the scriptures, and that drove him. I think there is tremendous value for this study for everyone in church because it will enable everyone in church to have a skill set and have the tools that will be able to spot those that are interpreting the Bible accurately and those that are not. Accurate Bible interpretation is critical to our faith and will establish that. And even if a person doesn't himself or herself use the study skills that will be presented in the next weeks, I think it will still enable the person who goes through a study like this to know whether or not The Word of God is being handled accurately, and that certainly is one of the high goals. You know, years ago in high school, and probably some of you had this happen too, we were required to take a class called shop class, which I always thought if it's shop, it should be a woman's class, shopping class. But it was called shop class in school. It was a class designed to teach us how to do woodworking and mechanical things. I was no good at it. I mean, my claim to fame is I made a knife holder, got a B- minus on it. But I enjoyed the class, even though I wasn't skilled at being a carpenter. There was one guy in our class, I mean, that guy, he built a gun case that was just beautiful. I mean, I think he was a young guy, but he could build a beautiful case. That class never made me a great carpenter, but here's what it did do. It gave me the skills to be able to recognize carpenters who are good. And it also gave me the skills to be able to look at something and know that's quality workmanship. Now, I can't do it. I'll never be able to do it. But that's exactly what that class enabled me to do. And I think a study like this can do that for the people of God because if nothing else, they'll be able to spot quality workmanship in handling the Word of God. And by God's grace, God will enable them to say, hey, that is what the text says. Now, the truth is, most people know how to read the Bible. Most people don't know how to study the Bible to properly interpret it. Don't be offended by that statement. That's a true statement. 
Most people know how to read the Bible. Most people don't know how to study the Bible to properly interpret it. Most people who go to church know what a pastor or teacher has said about the Bible. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because that is a key part of growth. God does give different gifts to the church. One of them is pastor-teacher. We'll acknowledge that. We'll discuss that as we go along. But what if the pastor isn't teaching what's right? What if he's using the Bible, and he stands up there and he starts talking about something, and it isn't right teaching? How would the average person going to church know whether or not they've been taught truth? I want you to flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, if you would. Matthew chapter 12. I want to give you a great illustration of this very thing we're talking about. In Matthew chapter 12, I want you to notice verse 31, and I'm reading verse 31. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Years ago, there was a man who came to me paranoid, paranoid about whether or not he committed the unpardonable sin. He was paranoid because he had sat in a church service where some minister had used this text and had just gone off on some diatribe, and this guy was living in fear he'd committed the sin. He'd committed the unpardonable sin. And I mean, this guy was actually scared that he had done that. So he came to me. So I said, well, let's go to the passage. So we turned to the passage, and I said, let's look at verse 31. What's the first word you read in verse 31? He said, it's the word therefore. I said, what does that word do? He said, well, he he didn't know. I said, well, it points back to something that was stated previously. So if we back up to verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I said, he is pointing back to that episode right there. He's telling people that I'm here as God, doing these things by the Spirit of God. You're telling people I'm doing this by the power of Satan, when I'm doing this by the power of the Spirit of God. And anybody who does that is blaspheming the Spirit of God, and they are going to not be forgiven of doing that. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, actually performing those miracles, and he was telling them, I'm doing that by the Spirit of God, and they're telling him he's doing it by demons, he said, that will not be forgiven. I said to the guy, you done that? He goes, no. I said, well, you haven't committed the impardonable sin then. Because the grammar tells us that's what it is. Now, he had been at a church service where a minister had put him in fear. He spent years 
living in fear because he had never been taught how do you look at a text and study and interpret it the right way. So I think there's tremendous value in going through a study like this in the next weeks, and we're going to handle it in question-answer fashion like we do uh, doctrinal studies. And the first question that we want to begin with tonight is this question. Is there a legitimate biblical precedence for teaching a course on how to study and interpret the Bible? I want to begin with that question. Is there a legitimate biblical precedence for teaching a course on how to study and interpret the Bible? I'm not interested in wasting anybody's time in any study. If there's no biblical precedence for it, frankly, we shouldn't do it. I'm not interested in wasting your time. I'm not interested in wasting my time. So I think this is a really good question to ask. We think the biblical answer to this question is pretty much a strong dogmatic yes. There is a biblical precedence for having a course like this or a study like this. And I'm going to offer six biblical evidences. The first one is the Bible is God's word, and that would make knowledge of how to study it the most valuable knowledge one could gain about the most important book ever written. Just think about this. The Bible is God's word. That would mean knowledge of how to study it would be the most valuable knowledge that one could ever gain about the most important book that's ever been written. Michael Heiser, who's written a good book called Brief Insights on Mastering Bible Study, has titled a chapter which makes a powerful point, Ignorance is not a gift of the Spirit. The Apostle Peter teaches that one of the qualities that we're to pursue, that we're to add to our Christianity as we grow and head toward the finish line, that will guarantee us an abundant entrance into heaven, is we're to add knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God, knowledge of the Word of God. Having accurate knowledge of God's Word is one of the most valuable things we may have. Now, all of the data pertaining to the Bible being God's Word is carefully taught by Mr. Kelly in his doctrine class on bibliology, so I'm not going to repeat all of the stuff that he goes through there, which you literally could do. I will say this, we are going to establish a strong base here for you need that doctrine class because that systematic doctrine class that he teaches sets theological parameters for possible legitimate interpretation of certain passages, which we will cover down the road as we move forward. But one thing that I will point out, and that is from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible says it is God's word. All 66 books from Genesis to Revelation are God's word. Every bit of it is inspired by God, and so we would conclude that the Bible is a living God-breathed book, and the Bible is actually called a book in many passages. In fact, the way the Bible ends in Revelation 22, 18, and 19, it ends with a warning not to add or subtract any words from this book. Now, every course studied requires some type of textbook and usually a number of textbooks. In this case, our textbook is the inspired word of God, and our textbook contains 66 books. So the point of Bible study is to know as much accurate truth as we can about all 66 books. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not going to come by daydreaming. It will not come that way. Keep in mind this very important point. 
The Bible is a book in which God reveals to us things we cannot learn ourselves without it. That is a powerful, powerful point to remember. The Bible is God's book in which he reveals to us things we can't learn ourselves without it. This is God's written word, and it needs to be treated as an inspired textbook about God. Now, when you have a textbook, and this is God's textbook, a textbook must be studied. And since this is God's textbook, it must be studied, and I might add, it must be studied very carefully. So knowing the means of how to do that, or having a study that would give us the tools to at least guide us in that, in my opinion, would be some of the most valuable knowledge we could have. So there's the first evidence. The second evidence that we would like to offer is the inspired historical story found in Acts chapter 8, verses 25 to 35. Acts chapter 8, verses 25 to 35, and I'd like you to go there if you would please. Acts chapter 8. Here's what we read in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now this is an extremely important story to a study like this. There was an Ethiopian eunuch who was traveling back to Ethiopia from Jerusalem in his chariot, and he's reading a book of the Bible. He's reading Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit directed Philip to go up to the chariot. And Philip says there in verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? Now what we learn from that statement is extremely important. What we learn from that question is it's one thing to read the Bible. It's quite another to understand the Bible. Just because someone reads the Bible does not mean they really understand the Bible. In fact, some method is needed, some teacher is needed, if there's to be true understanding. And what we would certainly glean from this is there is a big difference between reading and studying, and there is a big difference between reading and understanding. Let's be real honest here. Reading is primarily low intensity, low energy. I mean, you can just take your eyes and read something and not even do a lot of thinking, but studying is just the opposite. Studying is high intensity and high focused energy. 
And so what happens in this case is you have a story where he was reading it, but he wasn't understanding it. So that would give us a biblical precedence for having a study like this where we teach people how to study and interpret the Bible. Now, a third evidence is the inspired historical story that's found in Acts 18, 24 to 27. Acts 18, 24 to 27. So let's go over there to Acts 18. And you'll notice in verse 24, here's what we read. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now here's another passage of very significant application to this study. Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt, and he was in Ephesus. He was a believer. He was an eloquent speaker. He had a lot of knowledge about the scriptures. He had a passion to preach and teach and communicate truth. He was fearless. I mean, he was quite an apologist. He would go into synagogues and refute Jews. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they realized he's just not quite accurate in his teaching. So they took him aside, and the text says they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now here's the principle we're going to glean from this. The principle to see here is just because someone has known the Lord for years... And just because someone has read the Bible and even has great knowledge of the Bible does not mean they're able to accurately interpret the Bible or accurately communicate it. That's pretty clear from this text. The Bible is relatively easy to read. It's not so easy to understand. And just because somebody loves the Lord and they love the Bible doesn't mean they accurately interpret the Bible. See, Bible study is not after just knowledge, it's after true knowledge. And there's a difference. There's a difference between knowing things and knowing true knowledge. So based on that text, we would say, you know, there is a biblical precedence for having a study like this that would teach people how to handle the scriptures and study them to interpret them. Now, a fourth evidence we offer is 2 Timothy 2.15. So I'd have you go there, 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Now, this is addressed to a minister. I get that. And this minister had a gift of God. I understand that. But we're going to build a case that this is also for application to all of God's people. For example, in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, the psalmist 
tells God's people not to walk in the way of the sinners, but then he goes on to say, delight in the word and meditate on it day and night. Well, to do that, to actually not walk in the way of sinners and to meditate on the word of God day and night, you have to understand what you're thinking about, which would require accurate understanding. So we would say, yes, this is originally written to Timothy, but there's certainly an application for all of God's people. Now, in 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul challenged Timothy to study to show himself approved unto God and be very diligent in accurate handling of the word of truth. That tells you there's a right way to handle it, there are wrong ways to handle it. In fact, he ratchets it up a notch by saying, accurately handle the word of truth so that you end up an unashamed workman. So through very prayerful, careful study of God's word, it is possible to understand the word, and it's possible to understand and handle the text accurately. It's also possible not to understand it and handle it inaccurately. But through a prayerful and careful study of God's word, it's possible to study it and interpret it in a right way that leaves one unashamed in the way the word of God is handled. And that's what we're after, every one of us. We want God to be pleased with the way we handle his word. Now, to actually be able to do that, to study, to accurately handle the word of God, requires more than just reading. It requires serious study and careful thinking about words and truth. It will require systematic analysis. It's going to take some tools that we'll teach you in the course of this study, whereby you can skillfully study things, and then you can actually come to understand this passage is rightly divided. I truly do understand what this passage is saying. Now, unfortunately, that's not how most people think when it comes to the Bible. But the truth is, serious Bible study means serious thinking. And like it or not, but serious thinking is hard work. A fifth evidence that we offer tonight is Hebrews 10.7, if you'd go over there to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7, we read, Then I said, Behold, I've come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ himself testifies right here to the importance of the written word of God. Several things are brought out in this one verse. The Bible is a book, the scroll of the book. The Bible's a book. The Bible's written. It's written of me. The Bible contains things written about Jesus Christ, and the Bible contains knowledge of God's will. All of those things are stated right there in that verse. If ever there is a verse that would say we have biblical precedence for how to carefully study and interpret the Bible, it would be a verse just like that that would give us the precedence. Now, the final text I want to take you to tonight to establish biblical precedence is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. So I want you to go back to the Old Testament, to Nehemiah chapter 8. And by the way, bring your notes back because we're going to, our time is going to be gone when we get done with this one. So you got to bring those notes back because we're going to keep adding to this as we go on in our journey together. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, we come to an interesting passage of Scripture, and we start at verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, 
which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, he read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from the early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra, the scribe, stood at the wooden podium that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mahasiah, and on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Amalkijah, Hashum, Hashbad, Danah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabithai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book from the law of God translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Now Ezra, who's a biblical scribe and scholar, brought the people together along with other leaders to read the word of God, and he read the word of God from morning to midday. He read in front of men and women, those that could understand. So what that means is all the people that could understand the words were there, and they read those words, and they listened to those words. And then verse 8 says, they read from the book of the law translating to give the sense so that they could understand the reading. So what we learn from that is it's not enough just to listen to the word. It's critical that the sense of the word makes sense. It's critical that the words make sense, the words that are read so that the people can understand them. That's the point, to understand the sense of the word of God. That's the purpose of a course like this, so that we can go into the scriptures and actually understand what's there. To accurately understand the Bible requires serious, systematic reading and study. So based on those six evidences, we would conclude tonight that we do have a legitimate biblical precedence for this type of study in the church, although it's a different kind of study, I think it'll be a profitable study. Well, our time is gone. You made it through session one, good. And you're all still here, and hopefully you're smiling. Thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.